0: And um, and I'm thinking, you know, these days it's even harder, but then I also thought, if not now, when? If not on times like this, then when would we preach on the cross of Christ? Yeah, um, philosophers and theologians, they like to talk about these transcendental spiritual values that humans have that's sort of baked into our humanness and uh as holding up as these uh, elite ideas that uh this is what points us to god that we have these things sort of baked in like um like love and justice and spirituality and and beauty and truth and freedom and power and these are all things that are baked into our humanness and these are what our ideals and um, they all point us to God. And they say, you know, your children playing out in the, in, the, in the playground, they know when something's not fair. It's just kind of natural. They never took a course in ethics or have a degree in moral philosophy or anything like that, but they know what's fair and what's not fair. And uh, they say that this points us to God. And that's right to an extent. It's right until we mess them up and, uh, and until we get them wrong. And we can say that we love justice, and uh, I can, if somebody were to break into my house and rob our house, I would definitely want the police to find that person and and bring that person to justice. But if I'm on the other end of the law, then I'm hoping that I get away with it, Uh, or at least get some mercy. Uh, We all know that love and relationships are super important, and they are important to us, and they, they matter, except when we mess them up. Uh, We say truth is important, as long as truth is in harmony with my preconceived ideas. Uh, We say freedom is what we are about. We love freedom. And well, back in the Civil War days, the plantation owners, they said that they were free to own slaves. And the abolitionists said, no, there's people who are freedom, that need freedom from slavery. And I could go on and on about these values and about these things and how we mess them up and how we adjust them and to fit our own purposes and our own desires. Uh, but, um, but you get the point. That these are the things that we value, that point us to God, until they don't. And then we read uh, Isaiah 53 that, that Ronnie just read and we realize that we are all sheep who have gone astray. We've all wandered off. We've all messed around. We've all departed from where we're supposed to be. But we still think that this is going to point to where God is, except we realize that when we look at Isaiah 53, and when we look at the gospel, that it's it's precisely at the point where these things collapse that God reveals himself. That this is where God has made himself known. And so if we just look at John's gospel, for example of where God meets us, and it is where these, these values fall apart. Jesus just uh, ate a meal with his disciples, and he just told them that no, no, no one has any greater love than a man who lays down his life for his friends. And then Judas betrays him, Peter denies him, and the rest run away. The Gospel of John starts off with the beauty of creation. And all this was created through the Word and and through the agency of the Word. And the Word was light, and He was light, and He was the light was the life of all men. And and His first miracle is is this, this festive celebration of a wedding where He turns water into new wine. And it's all beautiful, but then that beauty gets defaced at the end at the place of the skull, Golgotha. We think about spirituality, and I'm sure this irony was not missed on John. Where in chapter 7, Jesus says, offers the people living water. He offers the Samaritan woman, you take this water and you will never thirst again. And then we come to the end of the book and we hear Jesus whisper, I'm thirsty. We think justice. And the Roman Empire was proud of their justice. And yet Pilate condemned it to death because of political threats and his own political interests. If you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar. What was that supposed to mean, that he was done for? Truth, Jesus and Pilate had a debate on truth. And Pilate says, we're the empire, we decide what's true. We decide, truth is in our realm. We get to decide, we're in charge of it. Freedom. Jesus just celebrated this meal, the Passover, that celebrated the, the liberating of Israel from slavery in Egypt. And then turn right around, and they're screaming for the freedom for an insurrectionist and a murderer. And Jesus ends up dying in his place. And then power. And Pilate says that, that uh, he has the power to free him or kill him. And Jesus says, no, you only have the power that God gave you and with it comes really severe consequences. This is where God has chosen to meet us. We expect to meet God in this area of all these high ideals, but that's just our pride and arrogance talking. That's not where we find God. Instead of this glorious moment of where we think we're gonna find God, God reveals himself in the place where all these things just come to a collapse. The place where justice is perverted, truth is scoffed at, and love is crushed. That's where He reveals Himself. In other words, God reveals Himself in our place. In our broken place. Our broken world. That's where He reveals Himself. God has chosen to meet us in our place, our broken place. And that's what makes the crucifixion story so powerful. That people who don't even know anything about, really about Christianity or about the atonement or anything like that, they still find the the crucifixion story life-changing somehow. Even if they don't know about it. I mean, you'll hear theologians talk about all these theories of atonement, exactly what happened on the, on the cross, whether it's the penal substitution, the, the, uh, the moral influence theory, the Christus Victor theory, the ransom theory, all these theories about the atonement. People don't know that, but they hear the crucifixion story and there's something there because God, that's where God meets them. And I've mentioned this story before, but it's one of my favorite stories about uh, Anne Lamont and her, and an author in her memoir she writes about her, her growing up in, uh, with parents who were atheistic intellectuals. She didn't know anything about Christianity. She had visited a Catholic church with a school friend of hers a few times, and that's about it. And as she became an adult, she came, became more and more and more into the grips of alcoholism. And she had reached kind of the pit, And but even then she would stop into this African American church by, that was by her house, listen to the music, and then leave before the sermon. And she said Jesus became like this cat, She said, this cat that kept following me home every single day. And every day I'd get to my trailer house and I'd open the door and I'd say, no, you can't come in, you stay outside. And then she reached the depths of her brokenness, of alcoholism. She had had an abortion and she was suffering from the consequences physically and spiritually. She said, I could not stop the bleeding physically and I couldn't stop the bleeding spiritually. And finally she came home and that cat was still there and she said, all right, come on in. Not knowing anything about theology, but it was the story of the crucifixion that is so, so powerful. And that's the truth that we have to learn and relearn and relearn. And that is that God, God, the cross is God's coming to save us in the very heart of our depraved humanity. He is coming to save us in the very innermost heart of our violent, hostile, fallen humanity. That's where God chooses to meet us, in our desperation, in our hostility, in our violence. It's not God who's violent. It's us. It's not God who, as they came to condemn and scapegoat and blame, it's us who do those things. And this is where God has chosen to meet us. That the cross is the act of God. The act of God taking the abominable evil onto himself. And this is how he binds with humanity. By entering in and dealing with the inside. It's not some external transaction, this for that. It is something that it goes deep in and attacking the roots. And our sin, no matter how shameful, no matter how fearful, does not separate us from that. That He has bound Himself to us. It is not separation. It is humanity and the cross that binds us to Him through the loving, the self-giving love of God. So we think these values seem to point us to God but in reality they don't. We realize that through our history that these values are broken. And instead of pointing us to God, they actually remind us of just how chaotic, how tragic, and how absurd our world is. That's what they do to remind us of that. When the Jews came out of World War II and and were were freed from the, the concentration camps and after the Holocaust, practically the whole generation had become secular. A whole generation of Jews had become secular and just maintained their Jewishness and their ethnicity and not their faith because they could not reconcile their tradition and their prayer of, my God, why have you forsaken us? We thought we were God's people and you have forsaken us. And I don't know if I would have been any different. We think that there's no answer for that but there is and that answer is the cross. The cross is the answer to that because God has not kept himself aloof from our suffering and our pain. The whole point of the cross is that he entered into it with us. That he entered into the humanity. That he has not kept his distance from us. He entered into the very, very pit and that's the paradox of the gospel. We think we get closer to God the better we are and, and doing these things we think that's pointing us to God but in reality it's our sin of rebellion that actually has bound us to him It is actually that that he has come to be part of it to take hold and grip hold of the darkness and the evil and take it on himself He didn't come to reorganize the political system he didn't come to reorganize our society system He came to get to the heart of it and cure the heart. That's the point of the cross, to reconcile the human heart to his heart. That is the deadly root. And that's why he chose the low low and meek way. That's the reason he came in on a donkey. That's the reason he submitted himself to the cross and said, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing because that's the only way that we can find healing and recreating of the human heart. It has to start there. The message of the Bible is pretty simple. The message of the Bible is God's longing to dwell with His people. God's desire to live in His creation, His good creation, with His human creatures. That's His intention. And that intention is shockingly fulfilled With the cross that's how he does it it is shockingly fulfilled in the place where justice is denied where love is abandoned where truth is just the exercise of the Empire in other words he's done it by coming to our place our home our broken world and our broken soul that's the message of the cross we, think we, we celebrate Christmas in a very joyous way, but the road from Christmas for Jesus was always, always to Good Friday. It was always on the road to the crucifixion. And my favorite hymn at Christmas is Little Town of Bethlehem because it has that line, Our hopes and fears, all our hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. On Good Friday, the line is, all the pain and tears are met in thee tonight. That's the message of the cross, and that's why it's so powerful. Because he has met us in our place. He has met us in our home, in our broken world. God has chosen us to meet us in that place The cross is just about God coming to save us in the heart of our fallen and in our depraved humanity. That's why it's so powerful. That's why it never gets old. We're going to continue on with our worship and then we'll celebrate communion together.